Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 75 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 75, we are going to be talking about a handful of things. The first one is we're going to talk very briefly around about the uh, preseason P&W quiz meet. We normally call this the scramble meet, but we didn't scramble this time. So we'll give some highlights uh, for that meet. I am going to attempt to stump Scott with a rule question that actually came up right at the end of that uh, of that quiz meet that happened just this last Saturday. And then we're going to spend most of our time talking about kind of a continuation on kind of the umbrage that we took with quiz masters, but our umbrage was really more around the idea of senior quiz masters who did things badly that, you know, we take umbrage with them because they're seniors and they shouldn't do that. And they know they shouldn't do that. Um, instead, we're actually going to be kind of shifting focus and looking at common junior quiz master mistakes. So like, you know, either rookie quiz masters, first time quiz masters, folks who've only been doing it for a short period of time, kind of common things that we see in the junior QM department. But honestly, I don't think, I, I don't know, Scott, I don't take any umbrage with, with junior quiz masters making mistakes. I don't think you do either, right? No, this is, we're not on the like worst practices or taking umbrage. Now it's more just a discussion exercise, right? About um, tips for, for starting quiz masters or the most common things that might be the quickest bang for your buck for a quiz master to improve upon. Yeah, because I mean, I don't personally take umbrage with anybody making mistakes because, well, for a number of reasons, but perhaps chief among them, I frequently make mistakes. And so, you know, it would be kind of, uh, you know, silly of me to take umbrage with somebody else for making mistakes. Mistakes happen. It's more, I think the umbrage was around things that aren't, that are almost intentional uh, or or seemingly intentional from people who know better. So junior quiz master mistakes, this is sort of, um, you know, I think probably I messed up on every single one of these when I was a, a junior quiz master or a rookie quiz master, certainly. So we're going to be talking through some of these and diving into what, you know, maybe some idea, things that we're noticing and things that, you know, maybe some strategies around how to correct uh, some of these mistakes if you happen to be a junior or rookie quiz master yourself. All right. So with that said, let's kind of jump into the preseason meet. So like I mentioned, this is normally, you know, normally every year uh, since, I don't know, the dawn of time, which is kind of like what, 1997 or eight or something. I forget exactly when we did the very first scramble meet, but it was a really, really long time ago. Um, basically, the P&W district at the very beginning of our year, actually just prior to what I've been calling our regular season, we have one meet where uh, as many people who can get together and we scramble everybody up into different teams. So you're not quizzing, hopefully not quizzing with anybody from your local church. And uh, we do a combination of some quizzes, some games, some workshops, some discussion times, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And in the world of antivirus lockdown measures uh, and lockdown measure policies, that we find ourselves in right now, we aren't able to physically get together. So it seemed kind of weird to do the actual scrambling of teams together because part of the part of the fun of scrambling teams in the scramble meet is that you get to essentially forcibly meet a handful of other uh, you know quizzers who aren't part of your uh, church who wouldn't you wouldn't normally uh, you know hang out with a lot uh, in quizzing at your local church you would only see them at district meets so this was an opportunity to sort of engage and and get to know people and have some fun that way 
Uh, we weren't able to do that in, in the, you know, antivirus lockdown time. So we had our scramble meet, but we just didn't scramble teams. So we're calling it the preseason meet, or we called, past tense, because it happened just this last Saturday. We called it the preseason meet. And we had workshops. We had a, we did actually scramble everybody up into teams for a scavenger hunt, um, which was a lot of fun. And there were a massive amount of pictures uh, dropped onto the Slack channels uh, while we were having our leadership meeting. Unfortunately, those two events happened at the same time, so I wasn't able to pay a lot of attention to what was happening with the uh, with a scavenger hunt. But uh, folks seemed to have a lot of fun with that. Uh, in terms of what happened in our district, we ended up with the top three teams were in third place ABC3, in second place Lighthouse1, and in Ma first place was Madras1. And it was a great finals because up until at least question 19, it was anybody's quiz, which is just, um, those are, those are just kind of the best kind of quizzes, I think, because, you know, nobody's dropped out uh, too early. It's very competitive. Everybody's quizzing very well. And that was just, it was really great to see and experience. And really the entire meet, it was really wonderful to see people we hadn't seen, well, see them virtually over their cameras. It was nice to be able to hear them and occasionally see them that we haven't, folks we haven't seen in a few months. And it was great to be able to hang out and have fun again and fellowship again and quiz again. So yeah, a lot of fun. And that was this last Saturday. So we've got a little bit less than five weeks until our first official district meet, district meet number one. It's in October and it is planned to be either virtual or potentially on location in Madras, Oregon, depending upon, uh, you know, antivirus lockdown policy at the time. It does look promising, or, or at least plausibly promising, that we might be able to have an in-person meet in Madras. No, no, no guarantees, no promises, but, you know, we are working to figure out if there is a way that we can do that and still be in, uh, you know, full compliance with uh, Oregon state uh, policy and so forth, uh, specifically for Jefferson County, because that's where uh, Madras is located. So news on that probably over the next couple of weeks as things progress. All right. So, um, Scott, I have a question for you, and this comes kind of out of the meet. Actually, there was a, a discussion period that followed the conclusion of the meet, and we were just kind of bantering around and talking about all kinds of different things. And somebody asked a very great question, and it um, uh, there was a question that came up at the meet, and this question for you is sort of not related to that question, but it's sort of inspired by that question. So there was a chapter reference from Matthew chapter two, verse three, and the verse is when King Herod heard this, uh, he was uh, disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And it was, the question was something like who was disturbed and the, the question he clarified King Herod or something like that. Um, or no, 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 that's not right. No, it was who heard, uh, who heard this or something along those lines, but heard this is not a two word key phrase. So maybe heard this is a chapter key phrase or something like that. So anyway, the idea being that the answer was just King Herod, or theoretically, you could just say Herod. So the, the sort of the question came about, okay, Griffin, it's a chapter reference, her, who heard this, two, three, and the quizzer only says Herod. Do you count them correct or incorrect? Scott, what do you think? I would definitely not, um, because... I think the question writer has leeway to decide what 
information they want to include. So I think for some question types and question constructs, there is there sh- there might be a like um, objectively right amount of information to include, but for a lot of um, written questions, the question writer can kind of decide how much or how little they want to write as the answer. And once they have done that, if I'm a quiz master, my bar is so high to change that. Like I just I want it to be like I want to be very confident that this information is not required in any way to this question type, the construct of the interrogative word, if I am going to remove it from a written question. And in this case, King Herod is fine to write. Like, you know, Herod's the name, King is an adjective. Um, if it's written down, I am never going to require less than that if I'm the quiz master. All right, fair enough. And I, I agree. So let's say that the question writer only wrote Herod down would you then conclude that only Herod is required? Yes, I would. Now, I think the question is much better written, King Herod, but if the question writer has written it as Herod, I am not going to decide as a when I see that question as a quiz master to include the king or not. Okay. I am like I, I want again, it's a similarly high bar. So now it could be um you know, the question writer just wrote the answer as he with no clarification, pronoun clarification. And if that was the case, I might change it at that point to something. <laughs> but if the question writer just decided to write Herod, I might go, huh, I'll mark that because I think King should be included, but I will not then make the decision in the moment to include it, even before I ask the question. Yeah, fair enough. So l- let's throw a hypothetical in here. So, and this is where, this is where we kind of get into a hypothetical. Let's say later in Matthew, there is a guy named Herod who is not the same Herod as in chapter two, verse three. And let's say this other Herod is also king, but he's never described as king. Let's say hypothetically, he is only referred to as Herod the Tetrarch, if I'm saying that correctly, but let's pretend that he's never described as king and let's say we aren't let's pretend we don't exactly know what the word tetriarch means right um would you as a quiz master if you got the question that was only showing the word herod would you throw the question out as invalid because it didn't disambiguate king herod versus herod the tetriarch no because the quizzer's not required to i agree um and this is starting I to mean, get it. This is yeah. yeah go if, ahead. if if there are ten different Johns referred to and not disambiguated in a material, and you can ask valid chapter references from ten different chapters with a different John answered, it doesn't matter that they're not disambiguated. Sure, but let's say every one of those ten Johns had a you know John number one, John number five, John number ten, you know this kind of thing. They they were there was there were some kind there was a way to disambiguate them that was always within the text, right? And it was always within, this is some extraordinarily bizarre hypothetical, but um, (laughs) let's, okay, let's keep it simple. Let's say there's three Johns and it's, you know, John Alpha, John Beta, and John Delta. And Alpha, Beta, and Delta are always referred to as John Alpha or, or Alpha, actually flip it around. They're always referred to as Alpha John, Beta John, and Delta John in, <laughs> in every single case, right? Um, and the question, uh, and they're all sort of all throughout the material. So let's, for, you know, pretend context doesn't matter. And in one particular verse, it's a chapter verse reference question. 
or not even, let's call it a standard question, but it's, it's key enough that, that puts you in, in one specific place. And the answer only requires the user, the, sorry, the not user, the answer only requires the quizzer to say John for whatever reason. And it would, I agree, saying Alpha John would be better to disambiguate and, you know, it, requiring that in the answer would be better. But let's say the answer did not require that. Um, would you consider the quizzer correct by when they did not specify alpha would you consider the question invalid because it didn't specify alpha or some third derivation or all of the above so i would mark the question because it should um disambiguate if possible i would consider the quizzer correct for simply saying john and i don't think there's any way to call it an invalid question because um disambiguation of proper nouns in the answer is not anything about invalidity in the rule book. <laughs> right, right. And that's really what I came down to was the, uh, I'm trying to come up with a, a much better hypothetical that actually captures what I'm going for. And I'm doing a terrible job at it. But the idea being that the words don't matter and the the context doesn't matter and like what it what material what information exists in other chapters or way beyond the context doesn't matter it unless or ex, un, unless or except you're dealing with like what is your question to a reference question like you can't say something that um you know makes you key or and certainly you can't you know provide a question that takes you out of context obviously but but you can't you you can't provide a question that is you know an interrogative level uh keyness to something that's like you know a, a chapter reference or a chapter verse reference right um but ultimately the general gist is we quiz sort of the, the the bottom line is we quiz on the words that exist in the verse or the context of which we're dealing with completely independent of the rest of the material um except for what makes those words unique I guess the rest of the material makes the words that we are quizzing on uh, unique or not unique, and that part matters. But independent of the uniqueness of the words based on the rest of the material, the rest of the material doesn't matter. Yep, and this reminds me of two scenarios. One is I was, um, I can't remember if I was running an internationals practice or helping out, but there was a CVR, a CVRMA, and a CVR from the same chapter um, that started with the, that was the same question like um what man or something like that and i remember another person who was helping out who was a very experienced person said that because one of them was a multiple answer and the other one wasn't then they should be crmas and C and a cr to which i squinted and said the fact that one's a multiple answer or not does not change anything about its reference question uh type designation <laughs> Right. I was I was baffled. Anyway, that's one story. But then the other story is from so we've been talking a lot about validity, but the, the other side of the story is what makes a really good question, right? So as a question writer, you want to um, disambiguate if at all possible, right? And in the same vein, if in Matthew the phrase "word of God" appears twenty times and "word of" doesn't appear any other times besides "word of God." then what word or word of whom is a terrible reference question because the quizzer can literally never has to know what reference they're in, right? So this is a case where as a question writer, you can decide that this is a really poor question because it's the same answer everywhere, which is a very different decision than a quiz master deciding if a question is valid or invalid. Right. Yep. Totally agreed. Oh, sorry. It reminded me of another thing. This happened at the 
internationals that I have referred to because every single quiz at internationals took at in finals took thirty to forty minutes. It was insane. Um, but a quizzer jumped on an interrogative where the answer on the card from Acts nineteen twenty four was um, a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought in a lot of business for the. Oh, um, a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. And I think the question was probably who brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And the quizzer got silversmith named Demetrius and did not get the clause who made silver shrines of Artemis and was ruled incorrect, naturally. But then a challenge was made on the basis that the answer to the interrogative who was already answered. To me, like I'm in the audience and I'm just like, you're grasping. You didn't know the material. Sit down. <laughs> Um, and I, I believe the quizmasters deliberated for about five minutes on this one before I think they overruled the challenge. I would have remembered if they didn't, but it was just one of those cases where, you know, someone was definitely trying to steal something by trying to insinuate that the interrogative who is only asking for the name part of the proper noun and no clarifying or information or no adjectives, which is not a thing. So it, <laughs> Yeah, and I agree. I agree with the ruling. I can see why it took them a long time because they're pro they probably got into the you know the the rabbit hole of is the question valid as written or not, um, rather than the actual challenge of it was sufficient. The the first part was sufficient or not. And I think ultimately you're you're right that you know they assuming that they made the the ruling that you think that they made then. I think I agree with you and them on that ruling, but I can understand why they took their time. But this could also sort of point to a vagueness in the rule book because I don't, I don't really recall that the rule book is particularly explicit about this sort of stuff. It's not. So to me, I'm always going to lean towards assuming that the question is valid, right? And my main. Right. My main criteria is, is it key within the first five words? And right. beyond it, that, like, I mean, if the answer to an interrogative question is a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, period, and then the next sentence is like, he went into town every day, and that sentence was considered part of the answer, I might wonder about that. Like, you could argue that it's clarifying information about Demetrius, but it's much less clear than this one where it's the same sentence and it's, a, you know, a comma who clarifying clause that it's like it's obvious like it was written as required by the question writer i'm sure not going to change that as a quiz master quizzer can get it you know right and of course the you know the translator in me is saying well what happens if the second sentence begins with the word and does that change <laughs> does that change your, your your opinion at all right um and and from an english perspective we would look at that and say well no because there's a period it's a second sentence the fact that it begins with a conjunction is irrelevant it's a second sentence but then the translator in me is looking at this and saying N but hang on a moment there's no such thing as punctuation in ancient greek um so the original text didn't like it was all one thing so you know, if it's clarifying information, should it be included? And right, like this is where there's a there's a giant rabbit hole here. Uh, and I agree with you, right? Like we have to basically go back on the material and we have to basically quiz on the words that were translated. And as much as it annoys me, we have to quiz on the punctuation because the period does mean something in English, even though it wasn't there in Greek, right? Um 
And that part starts to make me, without any sort of clarifying information from the rulebook, it starts to make me feel slightly uncomfortable, which is why, you know, in a in the moment of a quiz, the quiz master has to rely, like, like has no choice but to rely on the question being valid unless there is something very obviously invalid based on the black and you know black and white reading of the rule book in the moment and the where to argue these things out is offline between question writers and editors and quiz masters who are saying I don't like that question and 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 kind of pushing it back to the question writer but never in the moment of the actual you know quiz itself totally I think my bar is very high to throw out a question because I consider it to be invalid before I even ask the question. Once I have asked the question, the only time I'll throw something out is when I'm like, oh, I missed something, right? But if I was going back and forth on something before I even started asking it, once I asked it, I'm committed and I'm just going to ask it and entertain challenges and all that jazz. Um, but the only time I'm throwing it out once I've asked it is it's got to be blatantly invalid in a way that I missed, <laughs> Right, right. Um, because you're so influenced by um, the quizzers that are answering if they're doing well or not in their 30 seconds or if 30 seconds has elapsed, if they got it or not. Like you're just like everyone wants the quizzer to get it right. And so if they didn't, you're just so biased towards wanting to throw it out or finding a way to throw it out, which is not what you want. Right. Well, so here's here's a, you know, somewhat related but totally unrelated, you know, question that actually came up in my room uh, this Saturday. So. We were, you know, we're, we're only quizzing over the first cha uh, four chapters of Matthew uh, and really chapter one is, you know, starting in verse 18 and going to the end. So it's really three and a whatever, three point something uh, chapters of, of Matthew is sort of the, the full material that, we, that we're quizzing on. Not very much. And, you know, we had a fair number of quizzes and toward the end of the day, uh, it wasn't my last quiz, but it was maybe my second or third to the last quiz or something like that. Question 18-ish, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in that ballpark was a situation question. And it turns out that, let's let's say it was 18. Uh, it turns out question 18, situation question, was written, and oftentimes this is the case, completely valid situation questions span multiple verses, right? And it started in a verse that we had n not had a question from before in that quiz, except that in the very preceding question, so let's call that question 17, uh, there was a question that was based on the majority of the quote that was included in question 18. So in other words, both 17 is like 17, 17 was like an interrogative, let's say. So 17 was a valid question. 18 was a valid question. And based on the rule book, there is nothing to say that question 18 can't be from the exact same verse as question 17. It's just that CBQZ tries really hard to make that not happen. Uh, and in fact, actually tries to do that across the entire quiz, right? But random things happen. And it turned out that, well, question 18 technically started one verse prior to where question 17 started, but question 18 bled through and included all of 
the material that was in question 17. So question 18 pops up and I looked at it and for the, for a moment, I thought there was a bug. I thought like, oh, there's something wrong here because like I was looking at this going like, we just had this question. And then I, you know, took a bit of a pause and looked around a little bit and realized, realized what was going on. And then I was like, oh, okay, replace question. And it wasn't that I was tossing question 18 because it was, I thought it was invalid. I thought it was completely valid. And technically, in that moment, it was completely legal to say that question, but I tossed it because I just got this really icky feeling. <laughs> I don't know. So Scott, if you were in that situation, what would you have done? So in my experience, I am far to the to one end of the spectrum in that I am I am ne- never tossing those questions, and I have no problem with it. Like hmm. I have had, you know, a decent amount of quizzes where there's a quote and a finish the verse on the exact same verse. And I'll have people go like, we, we already did this one. And I'm like, no, we did it as a quote. It's a finish the verse now. It is a fundamentally different question. It's like, you know, to me, it couldn't be more different. <laughs> like, I'm giving you the first five words and not the reference. Like, this is, um, and so I just, I never have any problem with that. Even an interrogative that's two interrogatives that start the same way, but maybe one goes forwards and one is like a when that goes backwards. Like, to me, from those the same, are fun. From the same verse. Even. From the same verse. Like, okay. those are fundamentally different questions, and I have no problem with it. I also have no problem with the local rule, like Western Canada has, I believe, where it prohibits two questions in the same quiz from the same verse. Like, I think, I mean, we have technological ability to to prevent that, and I think that that's great. But if it, like, randomly comes up in a quiz, I'm totally going to ask it. And it's no advantage or disadvantage to any group of quizzers versus another, you know, like it's often a different question type altogether, a different, um, kind of phrasing sentence construct. It's testing different stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. And I mean, and like there are times where I've asked to finish the verse or a situation question early in a quiz. And then late in the quiz, there's an interrogative on a small subset of the material in a verse that has already been asked and either quoted out loud or read by me out loud, right. After a no jump. Um, and you will see quizzers that recognize it and jump on it. And I think that that's a cool reward for quizzers that were paying attention, right? When no one else in the quiz had memorized it. Hmm. Okay, cool. I can see that. All right, well, let's move on to common junior quiz master mistakes. So junior is, pro- I mean, certainly rookies qualify, but I mean, not all rookies are created equal. So Junior just is sort of this vague, fuzzy term that means folks who are quiz mastering who don't have a ton of experience, uh, don't have a ton of practice behind it. They're, they're kind of just getting started. That could mean it's their first couple of quizzes. It could mean it's their first few quiz meets. Maybe it's their first year. Could even be their second year if they've only, you know, depending upon how much they've been able to quiz master. So if you, you know, quiz master once or twice one year, and only once or twice, and then the second year you're coming in uh, again, you're still pretty junior, that kind of thing. So limited experience. What are some of the things, uh, Scott, in your opinion, that sort of you see from junior quiz masters? Mistakes-wise, I mean. So two of the, like, two of the biggest things are very related. The first is you might have a quizzer go from being a senior quizzer who is basically a peer to all other quizzers, whether they're a sixth grader or a 12th grader, one year, to either the very next year or only two years later, being an authority. And that is a very different kind of 
thing, and I don't I don't know how else to describe it, but um, it is a different responsibility and kind of character level expected for someone who is um, a looked up to authority by virtue of the role that they have. And I think not everyone recognizes it. And it's not like, oh, you can't be friends with quizzers anymore. But it's um, you you just have a different level of expectation because of the role that you have. And it's recognizing it and knowing that more is required of you. I don't know if you want to jump in. I, I feel like I've talked about it vaguely, but I don't have anything super concrete to say other than more is expected of you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's it's not that you... It's not that you can't be friendly to quizzers. And in fact, you you know, outside of the quiz room, you can go play basketball or, or foosball or whatever, frisbee, and, you know, be absolutely, you know, friendly and, and be one of a group of people. And there's there's no problem there. I don't have a problem with that at all. In fact, I think that's a really good thing to have, you know, strong fellowship ties between officials and, and, and quizzers. Uh, really between everybody. And I, th- I think that's a, that's a very healthy thing. But when you're in the quiz, when you're in the room, when you have that sort of role, especially as a quiz master, I think it really goes really for all officials, but especially as a quiz master, you really have a, you know, a duty to be professional. I guess that's probably the word I'd use is professionalism, which doesn't mean you can't, you know, joke and, 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 get quizzers to relax and, and enjoy the process of, of being in the quiz room and that kind of thing. But at the same time, there's a certain level of like antics need to stop. And you're kind of the person, actually not kind of, you are the person that ensures that the room is professional. I don't know. Does that word professional resonate with you? It does, but it's also making me think even outside of being, let's say you're a a quiz master or an answer judge or a scorekeeper. So you have a role in a specific quiz room. Even aside from that, the fact that you are now an official means that if you're walking around the meet, you're making sure that no one is getting bullied. If you're at a host home, you are making sure that the hosts are treated well, right? And that you don't leave a mess. Um, if you're at the host church, you're making sure the quizzers aren't leaving a mess at the host church. Like those are like, those are responsibilities of quizzers. Sure. But it's more like a responsibility for yourself but once you become an official, you're just part of the group of all of the adults who have responsibility, some level of responsibility over every single quizzer there. Okay, so here, here's where I'm going to, I think I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. Um, I, I don't see there bre- being a bright line between those two things. Um, I see it more as a sliding scale. So if somebody is a sixth grader or seventh grader or even eighth grader, like, as they're walking around a quiz meet, you know, if there, or, you know, is I, I, the bar for me is to uh, looking at them. I I think their bar is a little bit lower than say somebody who's in 10th, 11th and 12th grade. Right. And I think it's kind of the sliding scale by the time you're, if you're a senior in high school and you're a quizzer, you, you have a, I sort of want 
I don't sort of. I really want you to have a very high level of responsibility walking around the quiz meet. I think everyone has a responsibility. You know, if you see bullying taking place in a quiz meet, you know, report it immediately, right? As a sixth or seventh or eighth grader, I'm not expecting you to intervene in that moment, but but go find somebody, you know, who's older and, and get them to intervene, that kind of thing. I think that's everybody's responsibility. But if you're like an 11th or 12th grader and you're walking around and you see somebody who's, you know, a ninth grader picking on a sixth grader, like, I, I'd say it's your responsibility to intervene. If you see something happening at a quiz meet as an 11th grader, 12th grader, that is against the spirit of quizzing. Like, uh, you know, I think you need to feel empowered, if not entirely chartered, to take ownership of that. You know, like, it's not, I don't think it's your responsibility to ultimately decide anything. I think it's, but it is your responsibility to escalate and react to it and escalate to it uh, in, a, in an appropriate for professional way that I wouldn't necessarily expect somebody who's in sixth or seventh grade to do the same thing, right? So it's kind of this sort of scale, this sliding scale of maturity, right? And so, yes, there is absolutely, you know, if you are, so let's say, 20 years old um, and you're a, a, an answer judge, you are at a higher level of that than somebody who is say a senior in high school but i don't think there's this i don't think there's this line that you know you cross and you instantly be you know go from you know uh 18 year old who's a a quizzer to 18 year old who is a quiz master and suddenly the world changes i i think it's more kind of a, a scale does that make sense it does make sense and i I think I definitely see it linear through the ages as a quizzer, but I do see more of a nonlinear jump when you become an official. I think there's just, it feels like in more of an accepted, like both you have a higher responsibility to make sure things are going well in general, but if you don't, it's almost like a ta like you are tacitly endorsing it. Right. In a way, I, I totally in a way that agree. Is, that is, that is less um, projected upon say a 12th grader. I, well, okay. Yeah, I totally agree. Right. It's the broken windows theory, right? Like, like as a, as a quiz master, let's say you're a 20 year old quiz master, you see bad behavior. You don't call anybody on it. That is a tacit endorsement of that behavior. But I would argue the exact same thing is true as a 12th grader. Um, just not quite to the same extent, right? And the same thing is true as an 11th grader, but not to the same extent as a 12th grader, right? Um, and similarly, you know, on down the line as you get younger and younger, right? There's a portion of that that, that that's mixed for everybody. So, like, similarly, I would say, like, I think part of the, the, the non-linearness that you're experiencing is because, practically speaking, most of our quiz masters aren't 19, um, they're, you know, <laughs> sure. they're old, they're older than 19. And in some cases, let's say myself included a lot older than 19. Right. Um, so I mean, that might be where the nonlinearness comes into play, but in terms of like my expectation, I, I am expecting that, you know, if you're an eighth grader, this is your quiz program as much as, you know, it is my quiz program as it is a, a, you know, a 12th graders quiz program as it is a coach's quiz program, right? I think there's a certain level of, I don't know, it's a terrible analogy, but it's like shareholders, right? Like a sixth grader is a shareholder, an eighth grader is a shareholder, a 12th grader is a shareholder. And it's almost like every year you, you mature, you, you are, you, you somehow purchase more shares in quizzing. This is an awful analogy, but, but, 
bear with me on this. It's like every year you mature, you you end up accruing more shares in quizzing. And so, yes, a 12th grader has a larger share percentage than a 10th grader who has a larger share than an 8th grader who has a larger share than a 6th grader. Similarly, somebody who's, you know, 20 who's a quiz master has more than the senior in high school. But every single one of them is invited to the shareholder meeting, if that makes any sense, right? Every single person is an owner of quizzing and has some level of responsibility to, you know, protect quizzing and advance quizzing, evangelize quizzing, and look out for the good and the bad, right? Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, should we move on to more specific kind of quizmaster junior yeah, things? Yeah, yeah. Do you have some ideas? Um, I think the biggest one is kind of similar in that you're the authority in the room, but not so much as a dictator sort of authority, but the sort that things will not happen unless you make them happen. Like the 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 teams will not take the stage. The um, coaches will not leave the stage. The um, lights will not get checked. The quiz will not get start. We will not move from question one to question two. Like those things will not happen unless you, as the quiz master, make them happen. So it's kind of the realization of this. Um, it, it's reminding me of a very random story. I don't want to embarrass my younger brother, but my younger brother is an extremely good um, piano player, and. One time he was at a new church and was accompanying the hymn singing. And he did not realize that the piano player kind of sets the pace for the hymn and then the congregation just matches it. So what happened was the congregation, being a group of people, just slowly slowed down over the course of the hymn. And my brother, as the piano player, just dutifully matched them until by the end of four or five verses – it was at a snail's pace, right? <laughs> um, and he, he learned quickly, and he, he kept the exact time that he wanted to keep the hymns snappy from then on. Um, but it, it's kind of similar in quizzing. Like, if you as a quiz master don't keep things moving, they will go very slow. Um, you, you know, it will just not move from question to question. Um, a coach will happily linger on the stage for five or ten minutes before the quiz starts. Uh, and it's just that realization and figuring out – um, what is my speed as a quiz master? What makes sense to keep things moving, but not keep things, not make them frenetic and keep quizzers engaged and sensing the timing that the quiz master is giving out? Because everything about the competition side of it is timing around your cadence and the jumping, but it's all like, not triggered, but it's all kind of contextualized by the general cadence of the quiz master when running a room and moving between between questions. And you kind of just feel it out. Like, how fast am I going to say, like, you're correct? And then start saying question number four is a situation question. Um, and But it's on you to figure that out and drive that that pace. Yeah, completely agreed. I sort of put all of this under time management, but it's you know, in, in the sense of that's a title that sort of covers all of this, but you're right. It's not just about time management. It's about the realization that you own the room, like you are the master of the room. And if you don't push it forward, it's not going to get pushed forward, you know, kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, one of my, I don't know, it's not a pet peeve because I, I, I give junior quiz masters a lot of, you know, space because it's hard. It's, it's one of the hardest jobs actually 
arguably is the hardest job in quizzing uh, is to be a really good quiz master. So, you know, if somebody is just starting out in quizzing, like I give them a lot of runway, uh, you know, because they're, they're, they're trying their best and it, and it takes practice and it's not easy to get it right, you know, right off the bat. Um, but one of the things I think you can, you know, if you walk into the room as a, as a junior quiz master with the expectation of, I need to be the one person who is responsible for time management in this room, you're going to do yourself a huge favor. So like making sure that quizzes start on time, making sure that you're not taking a, a lot of time between questions, between uh, quizzes, between questions uh, before calling the next one. Uh, that's really helpful. Uh, it, I mean, it, it can, it can, you can take a quiz that really could be done in 15 to 18 minutes and you can make it take 40 minutes, right? Uh, getting started on time is really, really, really critical. And there's some things that you can do that help you do that, right? So like quiz masters can not set up all of their equipment on time, right? They can, kind of walk into the room a little bit late, which, you know, according to the schedule is, you know, I, well, I'm seven minutes, I'm in my room seven minutes, minutes before the quiz starts that that should be plenty of time. And it's like, well, no, it's really, 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 really super not because you still have to get all the equipment plugged in. If you're using your laptop, you got to boot your laptop or whatever, turn it on, plug it in, load up whatever software you're going to use. Um, hopefully it's CBQZ, but that still takes, you know, a few seconds to do. You have to kind of, I don't know, get in the zone mentally. If that's, I don't know how to describe it, but there's a certain, like all of that stuff has to happen. And doing that before the last minute is so in, incredibly important to, to not having your room fall behind immediately. And then like, you know, you do your first quiz, you wrap it up. You should, as soon as you wrap it up, you should be immediately thinking about the next quiz, right? Um, you know, sure, there might be some questions. Somebody comes to your table, you answer questions, you know, that kind of stuff. You, you, you can, you know, be conversational with people and encouraging, and that's a very good thing. But your mind should be moving on to what are the next teams? Where are they going to, where are they seated? What quizzes, what other rooms, what other quizzes are they in right now? Uh, you know, are they in the room? You know, maybe you can call the quiz teams by name and start getting them seated. Because there's this thing and where if a team goes to the stage late, the coach seems to have nine times out of 10, no awareness of the fact that they're late and will proceed to take, you know, three or four minutes talking to their team about strategy. And it's like, some, sometimes that's not appropriate. So, you know, being able to kind of step it up and say, like, here are the teams, get into place. Let's, you know, you don't have to be super pushy about it, but there needs to be a small amount of constant pressure uh, of, of kind of gently moving the quiz always. And, and not the, the quiz, the, the room. There's always a gentle amount of pressure always pushing the room forward. Yeah. Um, I definitely think coaches take their cues from the quiz master and assume that they will have the exact same amount of prep time from when the quiz master kind of calls everybody to the stage, um, regardless of what this time on the clock is. Right? Right. Um, but I... So, and I think this is um, really timely, um, not really timely. It's very controllable, right? As a quiz master, you don't need experience to make sure that you are prepared for a quiz and ready to make sure that people are on the stage and moving along. Um, but 
one thing that does take experience is so I kind of hinted at the general cadence of the room, but to me, your cadence when reading questions and moving between questions is the most important thing because that can't be fixed. If you make a bad ruling, everyone has the opportunity to challenge. Um, obviously, try to not make bad rulings, but like people have that opportunity. Um, people don't really have the opportunity to do anything if you're slightly inconsistent question to question. So figuring out your conversational cadence that you can repeat um, and really foster that consistent timing kind of feel in the quiz. I don't really know how else to explain it, but I was able to beat internationals in 2003, 2004, and John Caskey was the room one quiz master, and he was just in incredible. Like, I've always described his way of speaking as kind of sleepy, but the articulation was perfect, and the volume was always loud enough, and you always knew what you were going to expect. The way he moved from questions... You would hear like, oh, you are correct. And you like you probably could have stopwatched it where um, the exact same amount of time would elapse before he called the next question. And so as a quizzer, you were never being disrupted. It, it felt um, like just smooth, like one question would end, the next one would begin as at the exact expected second. Um, the description of the question was in a cadence that never changed when the question started being read. Like it was all just like perfect. And so, I mean, and that's kind of what I always tried to hit is nothing should ever be unexpected to the quizzer cadence wise. And that's not just reading the question that's leading up to the question, introducing it. That's moving between questions. All of those time gaps should be like locked down. Right. Do you think junior quiz masters take too much time with rulings? Um, I would really hesitate to say that an inexperienced quiz master takes too long with rulings because like I have read the rule book so many times and been through so many random scenarios that I mean it's those things that enable me to rule quickly. So if someone hasn't been through them, I wouldn't expect them to be able to rule as quickly and I want them to make sure that they take the time to get it right. So I definitely think that there's you can always be doing more work on the rule book because I would read the rule book every meet or two and I would find stuff that I didn't remember somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it helps to keep up in the rule book for sure. But I think you, you just get random situations around context or did the quizzer say enough to be kind of correct that um, might take you a little bit longer if you haven't, don't have that wealth of knowledge um, as a quiz master. Right. Indeed. And it, it makes me remember a book that I read talking about chess grandmasters and how if you showed a chess grandmaster a picture of a chessboard in progress and then for one second and then took it away, they could reproduce the board way better than a less experienced um, chess player could. And that's because they, they, they had played so many games and seen so many scenarios that it almost gave them that photographic memory. They had experience to hook their mind into and reproduce those boards and those scenarios. And I, I feel very similarly about it as a quiz master. Like if you've been through these experiences, then you're almost subconsciously drawing on a past experience to make a current ruling. And so if a quiz master doesn't have that past experience, then I wouldn't expect them to be able to make that current ruling at the same speed. 
Right, right. One thing I have noticed, and this kind of goes back to time management to some degree, but I think it's really more attitude management. Um, I've seen some junior quiz masters get, I I don't know how to describe it other than to say too chatty uh, with quizzers, or they're almost like they're trying too hard to be liked by the quizzers. Um, I think it's, it's valuable. It's a good thing to chat with quizzers, right? To have, you know, a rapport with quizzers to, you know, be, don't be completely stoic, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I think it's good to have that kind of relationship with quizzers, but the, the notion of like being too chatty, like cracking jokes, almost like trying too hard to crack jokes and get quizzers to like you or something that, that becomes very misplaced. Um, I don't know that it necessarily results in anything bad other than like you're spending your mental energy trying to get the quizzers to like you rather than spending your mental energy trying to be a really good quiz master. Um, but I've seen that from time to time. And I think as someone who does not have the personality to be chatty in any degree, um, it, this is easy for me, right? Like I'm not a chatty person, but I will always want to, if I'm going to be judgmental, couch it in terms that I think matter, right? So if you do not have a consistent pacing and time into your room, or if you're consistently behind schedule, or if you're not able to make consistent rulings because of your chattiness or trying to be liked, then that's a bad thing. But other than that, I don't mind it at all. And I think that the range of personalities is great. I think it is just very useful to be aware of the impact that your specific personality might have on quizzers, right? I, I go back to that story where I was talking about why in this other quiz room do quizzers, is the accuracy so much higher, right? And one of the reasons was, oh, that quiz master is a lot nicer than you are, Scott. <laughs> like, it's scary to be in your room. So, like, that's good feedback for me, right? Like, oh, I don't want to be intimidating to the point that it affects quizzers, Right. And to the same and in the same vein, you don't want to be so friendly that maybe you don't make consistent rulings, rulings in accordance with the rule book or your pacing and timing isn't consistent because of it. Right. But I think it's super fun to have a wide range of personalities and the quizzers definitely enjoy that. Right. Right. If um, so, speaking to a junior quiz master, so let's say a junior quiz master who you don't know uh, and you haven't been able to observe them uh, comes up to you and says, hey, Scott, I'm going to end up being a quiz master, uh, you know, next quiz meet or something. Give me your top three things that I should think about to be a, a better quiz master than I would be otherwise. What are sort of your sort of top three best advice things that you can provide? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'd probably talk about command of the room first. The next one would be read the sections for Quizmaster must and Quizmaster should. And then the third one, I would probably say run practice quizzes and take video of yourself um, and treat it like a real quiz. So when I have been preparing for job interviews, I would have mock interviews that often my older brother or my dad would give me. And they might give me a question like, tell me a time where you had to work on a team or something. And I would answer, well, if I was answering this question, I would say, and they would always tell me, no, like I am the interviewer. You are not going to phrase it that way. You're answering the question directly. Like I am the interviewer. And so I would treat like if you are doing a practice quiz at the church that you go to for that quiz team, I would treat it like a real quiz. I would say, 
We're going to have 20 minutes. We're going to go question one through question 20 with three teams and timeouts. And, and then during the quiz, do not break that mold that it is a real quiz. And um, if you have video, show it to someone. You'll get – everyone is embarrassed by video of themselves doing anything, musical instrument, sports, um, arts, quiz mastering, public speaking. But you learn an incredible amount. And so treating a practice like that as the real thing would be just wonderful for for becoming good as a quiz master. Yeah, it turns out your three answers are exactly the same as mine, um, just worded slightly different. I don't think I would have said record yourself, um, although I think that's a really good idea. Uh, but find ways that you can practice uh, being a quiz master. So find a church and go be a quiz master for their practices, right? Um, they're not going to say no um, to, you know, somebody coming in and say, you know, can I run a quiz or two? Uh, they're, I mean, I, I can't imagine a coach saying, no, I don't want you to do that, right? It seems like a, a really good opportunity. Uh, the more you can practice, the better you're going to be. Read the rule book and then read the rule book again and then read the rule book again. And like after that, um, make sure you read the rule book prior to every meet, um, at least for a while, and then continue to do that even after you become a senior quiz master. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be before every meet, but assume that you are going to forget things and you're going to misremember things. So, you know, read the rule book, read the rule book. And then the third thing is prepare. Um, and prepare by being early, right? Um, think through ahead of time, what are all the things that I need to pack before showing up at a meet? Um, when you get to the meet, think about like, what are all the things that I can do right now to be the most ready that I can be, right? Um, a lot of folks will show up to a meet and they'll be like, oh, look, all these people who are friends, I want to go and chat with my friends. And that's totally reasonable and totally understandable. It's people you haven't seen in a while and you're good friends with them and you want to catch up and you want to spend some time with them. And that's totally fair. But get your room ready first. Get your brain ready first, right? Like, like think through all, what are all the things that I can do right now to be the most possibly prepared uh, and you know, there's going to be a few things that you forget. That's fine. But if you're thinking about what can I do to prepare now, then you will have a much lower probability of something big hitting you unexpectedly later and throwing you way off your game. So, um, yeah, those are uh, my three are pretty much exactly, <laughs> I think what Scott said in his three. So yeah, totally agree. And practice is so important. Now, granted, I hadn't ever run a real, real quiz as a quiz master, but I quizzed for four years and did a lot of quizzing. But I remember being at my first ever scramble meet as a quiz master, and I got to that first question, and it took me like three to five seconds. I was like, wait, how do I start? And then I was like, oh, right, question number one is an interrogative question. And it's just like, you will never be able to guess what happens to your mind, right, in a specific situation until you put it there. So just practice doing practice quizzes and you will pick it up very quick. Yeah, indeed. And the stress factor too, right? So there's a different stress factor when you are, you know, quiz mastering your local church team uh, versus, you know, walking into room one and quiz mastering in room one with a hundred people watching you or whatever, however many people happen to be in the room at the time. So whatever you can do 
to experience higher levels of stress, if that makes sense, the the better, right? So, you know, 20 practices with a team uh, during their weekly practice sessions is good, but probably not as good later on as having one quiz in room one or something like that, right? Like, like, and I don't know that I'm, maybe there's ways to artificially increase the stress level, like, you know, take a road trip to a, a, ch- a church that's not your home church and try quiz mastering for them or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like ways to artificially increase the stress level, but like experiment with that, right? Um, that way you won't be stressed out when you are in more stressful room scenarios. Yeah. In my experience, it is so hard to artificially inflate a stress level um, for a performance art of any kind. Like I, I've played a lot of golf in my life and was like pretty much every golfer way better while practicing than when I was actually playing something that counts. And I tried all manner of things to make my practice feel like the real thing. And it is just borderline impossible to get anything close to the level of stress when something is real. Um, but repeated practice will definitely help uh, with with that. And I think it's just pure time doing it is the best thing. Like as a quizzer, I knew that once I got to Friday and Saturday quizzing, I was going to blank on stuff on the stage unless I knew the material so well that it was just um, automatically recalled. But as a quiz master, I think your remedy for that that sort of thing is pure time doing it and just quiz mastering a lot of quizzes. Yeah, indeed. Well, any other parting thoughts? I think overall, I hope we didn't intimidate anyone because quiz mastering, like it is difficult, but it is not, um, it's not undue or anything like anyone can do like anyone. Most people can do it. Like most people that I run across who hear about Bible quiz and they're like, oh yeah, I could never memorize that. And I was like, you know what? There is a range of natural abilities in memorization, but I have not met anyone who after going through quizzing, like was not able to memorize far more than they thought they could, right? Than whatever their mental baseline was. And I think quiz mastering is quite similar. Like, um, if you're interested, try it. Um, people will teach you and we always need quiz masters. And like most things in life, if you have a willingness to learn, then it will take you a very long way. That's very true. And I, I want to sort of double down on that point. Like, don't be intimidated by anything that we're talking about with quiz mastery. I mean, yeah, it is the hardest job in quizzing, I think, but it's also an extraordinarily fulfilling job a rewarding job. Uh, it is enormous amounts of fun. Like I, I love quiz mastering. It is, it, it fills me with joy when I get the opportunity to quiz master. And I'm not particularly that great of quiz master. I just still thoroughly enjoy the process. I enjoy, you know, answer judging as well, but not nearly as much as I enjoy uh, quiz mastery. And I'm not really sure exactly why it may be the challenge of doing it and the challenge of doing it effectively and fairly, um, that, that is, you know, fun and interesting, but yeah, if you have even the slightest inclination to giving it a try, you should, uh, it is a wonderful opportunity to give back to the quizzing program. It's funny. I think that I like it for the same reasons, right? I think it is a tremendous challenge to be that consistent and that unbiased and 
so good that the quizzers don't even think about you. And I love trying to meet that challenge. Yeah, indeed. Well, and on that bombshell, we should close. I want to remind everybody that we want to hear from you if you have questions or especially if you have disagreements with anything uh, Scott and I have said on this or really any uh, podcast episode or any other uh, location, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Inside Quizzing. And if you are on Slack, uh, which you should be in Bible quizzing, you can lurk in the inside dash quizzing channel on Slack and we can answer your questions in kind of almost pretend real time uh, between podcast uh, episodes and so forth. We would love to hear from you. So definitely reach out to us. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening and thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening, everybody. 